0: I know you. You are afraid to speak up. You are scared of what other people think of you. And you blame yourself for what happened to you. I know how it feels because I've been there. If you found me, I'm so grateful you are here. This podcast will give you hope. And I'm your host, Anna Maidenova. And I'm going to hold your hand and provide the guidance. It's time for you to find your why and turn your experience into your biggest power. This is your time now. So lock your door, put your headphones in, and enjoy. Nancy Gordon, welcome to the World's Best Trauma Recovery Podcast.
1: Thank you, I'm so honored to be here. It's such an important topic. And the work that you do is very
0: important. You came into my life when I think I needed you the most. Mm -hmm. We met in November last year in 2021. And a month prior to our meeting, I had to put asleep my little Pomeranian who was 10 years old at those time. It's just, I couldn't see him suffering from his illness anymore. And I had to make this decision and it wasn't an easy one. And I really didn't realize how much trauma it caused me. And this, and this dog was with me since the beginning of my journey when I finally left my parents' house after six years of sexual abuse. And I found myself sitting in the apartment alone, depressed, <laughs> struggling with my pain and my shame. And when I got cheap, my Pomeranian, he, he gave me so much light, so much joy and sense of purpose in my life, literally. Nancy, and my question for you, why do animals play such an important role in our lives?
1: That that's an extra an excellent question because um, it also leads into why pet grief is so important um, to be for people to be educated about and to understand it and support it. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons is that pets provide unconditional love, and in our human relationships, that's that's I think. Um, A struggle for a lot of people Uh, like you just described a very abusive uh, childhood and. um, It, it brings up so many other issues and layers of issues that our pets don't trigger for us. They, they just love us and they're also in the present moment so they're very, I think they're very important to us for modeling how to really live life, how to love life, how to be in the present moment. And this is, uh, I think one of their biggest gifts is to teach us to love unconditionally, to be of service, which they are, uh, whether they're a service dog technically or not, they are of service in our relationships.
0: That's such an amazing answer. Thank you so much, and I agree with you. They just bring so much, so much happiness in our lives. How was your life before you, you've got your doggy, your toaster?
1: I had a really great life until I had a car accident, and the moment that our the metals of our cars collided, my life was forever changed. And it was one of the life, most life-defining moments I've ever experienced. Um, it was quite devastating, and it took me about six years to sort of come to terms with the reality that I was, my health was getting worse from this car accident and not better, and I had to close my business. Now, I one of my I have seven practices that I experienced and kind of identified as my methodology for my own healing and for the people that I work with or write about. And one of those practices was about surrendering. And it was very, very difficult for me to do that. It took me really six years of struggling with my health issues and working. And then the last couple years, it was really... Um, quite a lesson for me about surrendering versus giving up. So one of the other practices besides surrender um, has to do with uh, your perception, your mindset, seeing the glass half full. So part of the best answer for me when I get asked that question is that through that journey of the, from the car accident to closing my business, I discovered this rare breed dog and she changed my life. She changed the whole trajectory of my life. And my resilience was really, really impacted by her. So that was the good, that was the good part of the story. Nancy,
0: in your articles and including Animal Planet documentary, you are sharing your story and you, you are saying how toaster literally saved your life and help you with a, a very bad condition of fibromyalgia. Could you explain a little bit more what is the fibromyalgia and how toaster help you? In sure.
1: This? Yeah, it's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> it's the good part again of that car accident. So the car accident resulted in this condition called fibromyalgia, um, which at the time was not well known or understood, and in fact it was perceived by many uh, many doctors in the medical community as kind of a hypochondriac kind of condition that it's not really real. Well, it is very real, and now now people really understand that and. Um, so it's basically um, what happened with the car accident is I got severe whiplash and that changed some of my brain chemistry. And I don't even know all of what it changed in my brain, literally, physically. But um, from that point of the accident, I had pain all over and debilitating pain. So it's a condition that has, it ends up being chronic pain, um, muscle and joint, and it has something to do, I think, with the central nervous system, which is probably what happened You know, physically with the whiplash. It disrupted my central nervous system. So, so it has also a very complicated um, sort of picture of it because it has other conditions that result from having the fibromyalgia, like sleep disturbance, um, difficulty sleeping, which then affects your cognitive functioning um, if you're not getting restorative sleep. There's a whole host of things that go along with fibromyalgia. And because of mo- so much of my pain was on my neck um, and you know my shoulders, that whole upper back area, um, I used to use a microwave neck wrap like 24-7 When I uh, discovered this rare breed through a friend, actually, who had Toaster's half-brother, I learned about how they were used in the ancient Aztecs as spiritual mystical healing dogs. And they were known to provide, literally in the literature, they were known to provide um, muscle pain, muscle and joint pain relief by pressing their hairless or almost hairless body against your skin. And that's when I when I met Toaster's half brother, I uh, had wrist pain. I put him on my wrist for about 15 minutes and I was just astonished that my pain was relieved. I mean, it's not cured, they don't cure you, but it was relieved in, in that short period of time. And so I decided I was gonna get a toy size um, the, because the Shola's come in three sizes and put her around my neck and call her toaster. So now I have a 24, I had, she's gone now, but I had a 24 seven, no microwave hot dog. That's how I called her.
0: <laughs> Nancy, and you know what surprised me? When I Googled uh, fibromyalgia and I, I saw it's not uh, curable and doctors were prescribing some horrible painkillers and medicine and all this stuff. But there is nothing about the holistic treatment or how animals can help us with the pain. And
1: that's why I think your message is so important. Well, I, uh, it, it became one of my first missions. And again, a, a way that Toaster became of service, not only to me, but to the world because I reintroduced this rare breed dog back into the world, thanks to the support of Animal Planet, who did a documentary on my story with fibromyalgia, toasters, uh, learning to be a service dog at that time, and to be used for chronic pain for fibromyalgia. And they were just looking for a pregnant dog to do a story on. And when they discovered my story, they probably did somersaults because it had so much richness to it. And the biggest piece is exactly what you're describing is giving people an another alternative to pain relief besides drugs and uh, uh toaster and her daughter Pink, which uh, she was born on Animal Planet, she she really changed my not only my depression from having lost my business, having to close my business, I should say, and um, all the depression that comes from the physical source of the pain. Pain it's all pain is often associated with depression, vice versa. And not just that, but she really, she got me out. She got me walking, which is, again, another one of the ways that animals help us, like dogs, because they get us moving. They have to be walked. You know, they're not happy if they're not. They're not healthy if they're not. So even on the days that I felt my worst and had maybe two hours of sleep, I still got up. Walked her, fed her. And by the time I was done all that, I was, uh, you know, kind of ready for my day to do whatever I could with it. You know what? I
0: 100% agree with you. Because when I had to take my doggy out, I would meet our neighbors. I actually met my best friend while I was walking my dog, and she was walking out her dog. That's how we
1: met. Yeah. <laughs> and we still are best friends. Yes, that that's another very important, I think, aspect um, of how animals or how dogs in particular help us. I had a I have a client who um, had difficulty with sort of social, you know, engaging with strangers, and. His dog became his conduit, that leash became his comfort zone to start interacting with people that he came across in a dog park or walking or whatever. So it was very healing for him to have a dog for that reason as well.
0: Yeah, pets just bring so much, so much value and so much gold in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy, how did writing your books? Uh, seven Steps of Hope, and th- uh, Pink, Three Legs Dog,
1: Change uh, yeah. Your Life. Well, as you as you said earlier, um, you thanked me for getting my message out to the world because it does help so many people. So that was a big motivation for me to write books. And I'm continuing. I'm coming out with one on anticipatory pet loss grief very soon. And the it's, it became a way, especially being disabled for a long time and not able to have a private practice as I had before my accident, it became a way for me to help others and inspire others and to mentor others because uh, I use a methodology as well as just educating people about grief, whether it's human loss or divorce or pet loss, it, it all falls under the same umbrella of loss and grief. So it it's a very, very important way for me to feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose here on earth to help other people. So it became a really uh, beloved way for me. I love to write. I could write every day, all day.
0: <laughs> Nancy, How did you deal with
1: Toaster's and Pink's death? Like I deal with everything in life. It's a journey that I face and learn what it has to teach me. And what I write about in my books, especially about anticipatory um, pet loss and grief, but it applies to anticipatory grief, even with humans, it's... It's such an important experience for one's own personal growth. And if you get the right understanding education about what grief is, how to recognize it, what you go through, how you can go through it in a more healing way than a traumatic way, it becomes easier to face. And the truth is, loss and grief is something we are literally born with. The first, the first experience in our world comes out of leaving this safe womb and, you know, going into some place you have no idea how you even got there and it's cold and it's bright and uh, the first thing babies do cry Mm -hmm. That's that's grief, they lost that safe place. Now, life is going to bring them many more surprises and gifts, and we don't remember that. But it is the first thing that we do when we experience loss is cry. And crying is one of the most difficult and yet most profound tools we have as humans to deal with grief, to resolve and heal grief. But so many people... Have have gotten messages from in growing up. Don't cry. Pull up your bootstraps. You know they can get threatened with physical abuse if they cry if they're not strong. Um, and I I teach the opposite that it's a crime not to cry. To further answer your question, how I how I dealt with. Um, the impending loss with Toaster and with Pink, who uh, I lifted up, as I call it, instead of put down nine months later, I, I began to experience and identify the early stages of grief called anticipatory grief. That's when you're feeling the loss, even though the loss hasn't occurred yet. So when I started to experience that in a, in a pretty more um, consistent way, I knew I was going to have to really face it. And it was something that I felt at that time and prior to that time, I couldn't face it. It was unfathomable to me. I didn't know how I would ever go, go through losing Toaster, much less Pink nine months later, and and survive it. I didn't know how. I didn't know how I could live without Toaster. She had been with me for 17 years, and in those 17 years, she was she was there at every defining moment, at every time I needed support and comfort, and just in petting animals, we reduce blood pressure, for example. There was just so many ways she helped me heal and find my resilience that uh, I didn't know how how I would handle it. And as it got closer to that, I realized the alternative of not facing it would leave me with such grief, guilt, and regret that I knew I had to find my way to face it and to navigate it. And what I ended up doing was conferring with my vets, with her vets over a period of time as her conditions worsened. And, and we, I could see sort of rainbow bridge on the horizon. Rainbow bridge, if anyone doesn't know, is um, became um, sort of a term that, people refer to where their pets go. They cross Rainbow Bridge when they die, they go into, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever. And so as I could see Rainbow Bridge on the horizon, I then started asking myself some of the most important questions I think that people can ask themselves about anything, any relationship is what would I regret doing or not doing once this loss occurs? So that's the blessing of anticipatory grief work. It allows you that window of opportunity where you can change the course of how your grief is gonna be experienced by doing things differently while the person or the pet is still with you. So what I did was I started to plan. I started to plan who would, who, uh, would I have helped me lift toaster up. So I wanted a mobile vet. I didn't want to be in an R- ER situation. I have to make that crisis decision. That's where trauma I think comes in a lot with people for any kind of loss, but especially in with pet loss, um, there's no, there's no often time for goodbye for making it not a traumatic experience for the pet or the person. And so I knew that I was going to plan, I planned a date far enough in advance that I knew she wouldn't be suffering. But when you experience that sudden loss with and having to make a decision quickly without more time to really transition your whole relationship into that experience and make that passage healing, it's it's where the trauma, it's one of the, I think one of the most basic reasons that there is trauma associated with the pet loss. So what I did and what I I try and help people to do is to recognize that facing it is actually managing it. It's actually taking control. It's not losing control. It's taking control of whatever degree you can about how this loss will go and how it will affect you and how it will affect the animal. So for, for um, when I got to the point where um, I knew I was, I, I was going to have to do it sooner than later, I set a date three weeks in advance. And then I, um, I did some things with Toaster that made a difference in her parting for her. Pink, her daughter, born on Animal Planet, as you'll see, um, was an attention hog. She would literally would get in between me and Toaster many times to get attention if I was giving Toaster, you know, a kiss or whatever. Um, and so, and Toaster being her mother and being the kind of personality she had, she was a wise, you know, a wise old dog. And she let, to- she let Pink do all that. So I decided I was gonna take Toaster like to the movies, which we used to do, cause she was my service dog sit around my neck, watch the movie. Uh, I took her alone without Pink. So she got her own one-to-one time, took her on errands, you know, just wherever I was going in the car without Pink, because usually they both came. And then we did some things together, of course, all three of us, so that Pink had her time with Toaster in that process. And then I set the date and made the last couple days really, really special. I was, you know, I was very present. I was there for her. She, she got a lot, she had a lot of joy in those days. And when it came to, you know, the actual lift up, I gave her a piece of, I held a piece of Hershey's chocolate bar in my between my fingers because she, she unlike Pink, she loved chocolate. And so anytime she could get into it, she did. And then so she had a couple, I hate to say, a couple trips to the ER to get her stomach pumped. Um, so, but I knew that she would love that. So I held the piece in my hand. And my only regret about how I did this lift up is I didn't videotape it. And so we missed getting on video the absolute astonished blissful look on her face when she started licking the chocolate was like, she looked at me, literally, she looked away at me and went like, wow, are you kidding me? I get to do this. And so she loved that. And then when it was finished and she, the medication still had not, you know, taken full effect. I asked somebody to run and get me a spoonful of peanut butter. So, um, because she loved peanut butter too. And so I held the spoon and let her lick the peanut butter. And so I named that ritual, that uh, incredible honoring of her and all of us that were present um, as the Reese's peanut butter lift up. So that's a good example of, you know, how you can use the experience to take it from a traumatic one, which it was when I first thought about how am i ever going to survive this to a healing parting that was memorable i mean i as i think about it and tell this story i i'm so i'm so it just fills me with joy that we had that experience
0: i'm bawling my eyes <laughs> i was also very close with my with my dog he was like a baby for me i had him for 2 years And then I was moving to Australia and I couldn't bring him with me. So I left him with my mom and she she loves him more than anything. So I knew he is in the good hands. But after I left, my mom was sending me messages. And he's still lying next to the door and crying. He spent a week lying next to the door. He was refusing food, water. So... When I went back, he recognized me. After all these years, I couldn't believe it. So, And we spent some quality time together for one month. But he was really suffering. He had a heart disease and his heart was enlarged and his liver was enlarged. And he would spend lots of time just hiding under the couch. So I had to make this decision to him asleep, and um, on the day, I wish I knew this before. I wish I could
1: give him chocolate. Honestly, sorry Nancy, I don't know why I'm so. Well, it's it's painful. You're still in a, really the early stages of loss and grief, and you know, I think one of the most important things to understand about that. Uh, healing that loss is to have self-love and have self-compassion with no apologies. When people apologize for crying, again, to me, that's like the crime. It's like, there's nothing to apologize for. It's a natural response to loss and grief. And the deeper the loss, the, the deeper the relationship was, the more meaning that the relationship has. You called Chip your, like your baby. So you're like the parent. Well, parents are not supposed to lose their children. They're supposed to go first. So the, the more meaning there is in, a, in the relationship, the deeper the loss and the longer, you know, often that it takes to heal it. The more that we face the loss, Conversely, oddly, the the easier you get through it. I've had clients that work with me for, you know, six, 12 weeks. And in that process, they're in a totally different place from where they were um, when they started because they did the grief work and faced it and allowed themselves to cry. There's nothing to apologize for. In fact, you should congratulate yourself.
0: and the the day we were putting him asleep he got an injection I think he knew definitely knew what was happening and he started to fall asleep and my mom was holding him in her hands and then he was falling asleep he closed his eyes and then suddenly he just woke up he looked at me because I was so close to him and he just started to kiss me he, he was kissing 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 me and then he just fell asleep and the reason i'm telling this story is i left him and i still beat myself up for leaving
1: him behind when you went to australia you mean you you're beating yourself up not taking him to australia i just couldn't i i couldn't bring him
0: with me how
1: do i deal with that Can yeah I... and that is guilt and regret is one of, I mean, it's, it's almost inherent in the word grief, um, which is one reason why my mission is to educate people and help them learn how to navigate it so they don't feel guilt. And, and so in your case, you, you made a decision and it sounds like it wasn't an easy decision. It, you, it was a thoughtful decision. It was, I'm guessing, in the best interests of everybody, including Chip, to stay. There's nothing we can do about decisions that we've made in the past except to understand them, to learn from them, to respect them, to heal them. Um, Hanging on to that guilt doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve Chip. He's, you know, he's gone. And... And dogs forgive, I mean, you see that every day. Every day you have a dog, you know, whether you didn't feed them on time, they don't care. Whether you didn't take them for a walk, they don't care. Whether, you know, you went on a vacation and left them for a week, they don't care. They forgive you in the end. And I think that is Chip's message to you, is that he, well, what struck me about your story is that your mom was holding him, not you and and i'm wondering did he wake up because he realized it wasn't you and he wanted to say goodbye to you and so you were right there and that was a blessing to him that you were there and he and he thanked you he said goodbye he that's what dogs do they kiss you they 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 kiss you goodbye. They kiss you. Hello. They kiss you. I love you, you know? And so he was saying to you, it's okay. You know, I love you period. I love you. And so there's nothing to feel guilty about. You did the best you could with the information you had at the time. And that's true for all of us. Whenever we make difficult decisions that, you know, sort of create an experience of what uh, is called cognitive dissonance. Um, I experienced that a lot with Pink when I lifted her up. That's another whole story. But um, cognitive dissonance is the experience where you have two competing and conflicting feelings or thoughts or decisions to make. And so you wanted to go to Australia and you wanted to take him and those are competing in in your situation, they were competing decisions. And the best we can do when we have that experience is to face the challenge, face what is is about, what that cognitive dissonance is about and how can we resolve it. And so you did the best you could, you made a decision and you went back And he knew you went back and you had a month of being with him and he knew that. And and because dogs are in the moment, in the present, he's not thinking of it was five years or six years or 10 years, he's thinking she's back, yay.
0: Nancy, thank you so much. This is so helpful. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for what you do.
1: You're so welcome my honor.
0: It's so important to have someone who understands you,
1: who got your back. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. And there's nothing to replace in, in, in the professional world. Um, and I learned this, I was very humbled by this when I learned that no matter how many clinical skills I had and expertise I had, the real difference that I made in people's life was because of who I am and because of what i've been through that's similar to to what they're dealing with and i've gotten beyond it so i lead people through that fire i go through the fire myself and then i teach people how to go around that fire as much as possible <laughs> you know that's what i wished i'd had when you know with that book of seven steps of hope and healing which i'm i'm releasing again now it's going to be called it's something different but it's the seven practices or some something like that, but it's it's really a process that when you um, when you have your own experience and you use that experience to grow to transform what I call transform loss into love and grief into growth, then it's it's so much he, more healing for people that you're working with that I'm working with to as you just described, you know, to have a, a different mindset, to see it from a different point of view, because I know both of your views. I, I experienced a lot of guilt with Pink. I didn't with Toaster, but Pink was a whole different experience and relationship. And, um, you know, ultimately her lift up was what I call imperfectly perfect Pink. Because um, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I did toasters about as perfect as you could get, except for doing that, not doing that video. But uh, Pink's didn't go smoothly, her whole process, because one of the things is she was grieving. Like, like Chip was grieving you and crying, Pink was grieving in those nine months. And I was still deeply grieving toaster. And at the same time, dealing with anticipatory grief now again, so soon with Pink but because I lifted toaster up in January of that year and pink started really deteriorating by August. Um, And part of that was we moved from my house that she had been in her whole life to another, uh, to a rental instead and without toaster. And so looking back, I wish maybe I hadn't done that, but I was like you in a, in the same kind of situation. I didn't want to leave my house, but I really needed to do so. And I did the best I could. And in looking back, I see that probably traumatized Pink a lot, but probably more than anything that was difficult for Pink was my own grief for Toaster. And on top of that, beginning the grief with her in August, um, as she became sicker and sicker physically. It was a lot harder of a grief for me to, to heal than it was for toasters, for the, for the same reason that you're describing. But you can heal it as you face it and as you get the right support and as you're able to share it with others, not, you know, whether that's a friend or family, but with people that are safe, people that you can trust, people that understand and don't judge you. You know, I have so many clients that say to me, you know, they don't have anybody to talk to except for me because their family says, well, it's just a dog. You can get another one, you know, or or it's been six months, you know, what's wrong with you? Well, there's nothing wrong with you. Grief is a whole journey and it takes however long it takes for each person. And each grief is different because the whole process is different because the relationship is different, you know? You're close with your mother. You're not with your father. Your father abused you. That, those are going to be very two different grief journeys. That's what I realized.
0: It was, for me, easier to deal with my own trauma than with the trauma of losing my pet. It's amazing. And it's so timely because there is a, a pet grief awareness week is coming in March. <laughs> and I know, Nancy, you've been invited on the interview. Would you let us know more about?
1: Yes, that? I'm very honored to be one of seven worldwide pet grief experts wow. that Dr. Karen Becker um, chose to help educate the world about pet loss and grief. And she's, she's an incredible veterinarian. She also uh, wrote a book. Recently called the Forever Dog, and um, that's about how to help your dog live longer and healthier. And um, I'm um, my interview is going to be on the 21st, March 21st. Um, we'll, we'll give a link here so people can can um, watch it and watch the whole week. I hope because there's information one interview per day, so there's seven of us. My interview is about a deeper dive than we've done here on anticipatory loss in pet grief. Even though what I focus on most is the anticipatory stage of grief, um, which I consider the first stage of grief um, compared to the five stage model of kubler Ross's, I think anticipatory grief is as profound a stage as any of the other five. Grief, I you know, Anticipatory grief is one stage that leads into the next stage of grief, you know, after the loss. So before, during, and after, really the material about that I provide in that interview and in my writing and core online course is all about grief in general and then the nuances of the different stages. This is so interesting. Where people can find you. I have a Linktree that has the URL to my website and to it also has a video of Betty White, my goodbye to Betty White, because Pink met Betty White. And we have photos of that. Yeah, that was a big loss for me this year, um, losing Betty. Also on Linktree is a link to PDF of an article that I wrote called, What is Grief and How to Navigate It in Seven Practices. There's a lot of information on my Instagram account. Uh, so if you follow me on Instagram, which is nancy.gordon.global, there, that whole Instagram account is devoted to loss and grief and particularly pet loss with a lot of personal stories and lessons that I've learned through Toaster and Pink. The link tree is nancygordon, link tree slash nancygordonglobal.
0: Wonderful. Nancy, before we go, do you have any concluding thoughts?
1: Yes, I just wanna thank you and honor you for the vulnerability you showed here and the experience you know, of sharing your grief because that is, it's in the sharing of grief where the real healing is. Grief is meant to be shared. It's not, we're not meant to go through grief and loss alone. So that's my parting thought. Thank you for what you did here, too. And thank you for having me. It's my absolute pleasure,
0: Nancy. Ladies and gentlemen, Nancy Gordon. Thank you for being here. I know it's not easy, but there is a part of you who is ready to take this journey all the way. And I can help. Reach out to me directly at Anna at AnnaMaidanova.com to get work. You can also connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn for more healing stories and magic. This journey is not possible to do on your own. So make sure to like, subscribe and review the podcast so we can help more people like you. If you have someone in your life who is struggling to overcome their trauma, this is something you can give them that truly can change the course of their life forever. We'll see you next time for another episode of the World's Best Trauma Recovery Podcast. And just remember, you are able to help yourself and you can do it right now.